Amen, amen. Praise God. We're grateful for all of the ministries. Yesterday, there was an awesome um, parents, mothers with children Christmas party. That was so much of a blessing. We're grateful for all those that led it and participated in it. We have a great church, don't we? Uh, I said we had a great church for those of you that didn't respond. Amen. Amen. We have great people here that love God, uh, that are faithful, that serve the Lord. Uh, what a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ, the people of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad that you're a part of victory. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to 1 John chapter 3. We are in the month of December already, and we have been looking at Bible doctrines. We have been reinforcing what we believe, especially in the day and the hour that we're living in. We have to know the truth because it's the truth that sets free. Lies bring people into bondage. Isn't that true? Amen. And so we're continuing this uh, powerful, exciting, fascinating biblical topic, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again. In 22 days, 22 days we will celebrate Christmas. You thought I was setting a thing. <laughs> In 22 days, Jesus is coming for the first time, <laughs> Christmas, Merry Christmas. <laughs> At least I know you're listening this morning. What is known as the first advent of Christ. Advent simply meaning the arrival of Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, God became one of us. Born as a baby in Bethlehem to take our sins to the cross to provide forgiveness for you and I, to make a way into heaven. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us, made a way for us. Isn't it amazing? Every time you write a check, date a document, sign something official, and you put a date, do you realize that you are commemorating the birth of Jesus? 2023, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. That's what that means in the Latin. So every time we date something, we are remembering that Jesus came. The first coming. The first coming was foretold by dozens of prophecies. One scholar examined uh, eight different prophecies, eight different distinct prophecies about Jesus' first coming, and he figured out the chance of one man Fulfilling all prophecies was one in one with 17 zeros. Can you put that up? One in 17 zeros. Fulfilling those prophecies of his first birth. But it, it it's not, doesn't just end there. That's just eight prophecies. There were about 48 different prophecies, really dozens of prophecies, but 48 specific ones. Some of them were repeated, but 48. And you know how many, what the, the odds were of Jesus fulfilling uh, that prophecy or those prophecies? One in 157 zeros. If Jesus fulfilled every prophecy back then, how many of you know he will fulfill every prophecy of his second coming? 
we can take that to the bank. We, that is a guarantee. We have that assurance. We have that confidence in the word of God that what he has done in the past, he will do in the future. And if he fulfilled, he will do it of his second coming. But what is interesting, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, there are eight times more prophecies about his second coming than his first coming. Eight times as many prophecies that tell of Jesus' second coming. In the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, we, it speaks of the second coming on an average of 1 in 26 verses. Or to put it another way, one on an average of every chapter in the New Testament. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. On average, the prophecies of Christ coming, one every chapter. How many of you ever studied the topic of hermeneutics? Okay, some of you that never heard that word, that is a $50 word. And that word hermeneutics simply means the art or the science of Bible interpretation. Everyone say hermeneutics. You learned something this morning, amen? Well, one of the, 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 the principles of hermeneutics or uh, Bible interpretation is what's known as repetition. The use of repetition in the Bible is an emphasis on the importance of a topic, a theme, or a person, or an event. When we see the repetition that Jesus Christ is coming back, that speaks to us that we need to be ready for his second coming. And all the more as you see that day approaching, Jesus is coming back soon. We ought to be ready, we ought to be watching and we ought to be prepared. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many of you are in 1 John chapter 1? Is that where I told you to go? Great. Yes, you're right. Again, I'm glad you're paying attention. 1 John chapter 3. I love these three verses of Scripture. Powerful. 1 John. How many of you know who wrote 1 John? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're still following me. Well, it's not a trick question. Um, do you also know what he wrote? He wrote 2 John and 3 John, but he also wrote the gospel of John. This is John, the beloved apostle. In chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now, everyone say now. now. Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I use this scripture because it ties in so well to the doctrine of the second coming. Because John says that when he is revealed, that is speaking of the second coming, when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So this morning, I want to take a few moments and look at this passage of Scripture. I want to talk to you just very briefly about three very common themes throughout Scripture. Faith, hope, and love. 
I want to look at the topic of love first. In verse 1, John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Behold. That word is to get the attention of the reader. That word behold isn't just simply to look. It means to capture your attention. It means be sure to see this. Don't miss this. You see, the love of God is not just in word only. The love of God has been demonstrated. So John is saying, behold the love of God. I want you to see. I want you to look upon it. It is not just mere words. It is something that is visible, something that is concrete, something that is in reality. John, one of the first, or the 12, one of the 12 apostles, he had been a follower of Jesus for three and a half years. He walked with Jesus and spent countless hours and days and weeks and months and years with Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, he is expressing astonishment of God's love towards humanity. When you and I think of the love of God in forgiving us, in saving us, in radically changing us as we have put our faith in him, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That word, what manner, speaks of the quality, the grandeur, the significance of the love of God. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. God didn't just declare his love for you and I, he demonstrated his love for you and I. You see, many times we are affected by a kind of love that is conditional. It's a kind of love that says, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. That's conditional. Or we might scratch someone's back in hopes that they'll scratch our back. Again, it's conditional. But we want to go a little deeper in that kind of love. It's not enough just to scratch somebody's back because they're going to scratch your back or to scratch their back in anticipation of them scratching your back, but you scratch their back even if they stab you in the back. You see, that's the kind of love that God demonstrated towards you and I. And again, we, our love is so conditioned by a world of conditional love. God's love was unconditional. God's love, that's why John is saying, behold, look, gaze upon, see the love of God that he has bestowed upon you and I today. Aren't you glad for the love of God this morning? How did he demonstrate it? God's love was demonstrated when the God of the universe, you saw that, that slide that we put up with all the zeros, the mathematical probability of all of those prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. Think about the galaxies. There was a time when scientists thought that there were several galaxies. Then we come to find out that there were hundreds of galaxies. 
We're part of the Milky Way galaxy. But scientists found out they weren't just hundreds, there were millions. Then they found out that there were billions of galaxies. And some believe that the, the, the creation is not even complete. That when God said, let there be, and there was, that creation continues to expand. So scientists have found out that there are billions of galaxies. But God would come down to this little speck called planet Earth. The God who spoke the universes into existence would come down in the form and the fashion of a baby. Think of the vastness of creation, the incomprehensible. Yet God would come down to a tiny little speck called earth and be born as a baby to grow to a man that would become the sacrifice of our sins on an old rugged cross. Christ came down and he displayed his love openly. It was as if someone asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said this much. And he spread his arms and he died on the cross. Paul would speak of this love in Romans chapter 3 or Ephesians chapter 3. Matter of fact, would you go to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning? Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said this in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. The Bible talks about being rooted and grounded in the love of God. Look at verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout ages, world without end. Look what Paul says. I want you to know the love of God, the height, the width, the depth, the length. But then he goes on to say something. He says to know the love of God that passes knowledge. How do you know something that passes knowledge? You know it by revelation. You know it by the power of the Holy Spirit revealing it to the inner man, to your spirit man, that it becomes a reality to you in such a powerful way by the Spirit. And that's what changes a life. That's what melts a hard heart, the love of God, the width of God. It's wide enough for God to wrap his arms around the earth. It is 24,901 miles around the equator. The love of God is wide. The arms of God are wide enough to wrap all the way around the earth. Its, its length, its depth, its height is great enough to meet every need. The depth of the love of God is low, low enough to reach into every pit that you and I might find ourselves in. You know, many times when we come to church... Our worship is dependent upon how well we did that week. 
Many times when we come to church, we will worship God according to how good we're doing. And, and there is a measure of importance, obviously, that we live out our faith and that we walk in righteousness and truth and that we keep ourselves from sin and evil. But how many of you know sometimes when you come to church and you fail, you've made mistakes, you've had a bad week, you just sit there and, and, and you beat yourself up. And sometimes it's more pride because you're dependent upon yourself than upon the grace of God. But in Psalm 7 verse 17, the psalmist said, I will praise you according to your righteousness. What is the psalmist saying? I'm not praising you according to my righteousness or my right living. I'm praising you according to your righteousness because you and your character are worthy of my praise. And you see, when we truly praise like that, it begins to bring about a change in our heart, in our spirit, and it begins to change us into his image. Because when we behold the spirit, the spirit of the Lord, we are changed into his image from grace to grace and from faith to to faith. Can you say amen? amen? This morning you and I have a father. Behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. If you are a Christian this morning, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. You have a perfect heavenly father that loves you unconditionally and who does not share any of the failures of your earthly father. We struggle Sometimes in relating to a heavenly father because our earthly father is, is the closest resemblance or something that we relate to. But we have to understand that our heavenly father is nothing like our earthly father. If we've had uh, faithful, loving uh, earthly fathers, we're blessed. But if we haven't, we have to understand this morning our father is different. The Bible in and of itself is a God's love letter to mankind. This morning where there's suffering, where there's pain, where there's heartache, where there's all manner of, uh, of things that people are dealing with, we have to realize we live in a world that has turned its back on the God who has loved them, has rebelled, has sinned, has chosen their own way. But God this morning in his amazing love is reaching out to mankind. And we know that scripture in Thessalonians that talks about the Lord returning. And it says with these words, comfort one another. The comfort is that God is coming back for us. To God be the glory. This morning, one thing we have to understand, a practical way that we renew our minds. According to Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is to understand the love of God and what the love of God has accomplished for you and I. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Right now, right now you're a child of God. You don't have to wait to get to heaven. We, we should be called children of God, not a, not a gangbanger, not a gangster, not a rapper, not even a Republican, not even a Democrat, not even an Italian or an African or a Hispanic or an American, but a child of God. How do you identify yourself? We identify ourselves as a child of God. Amen. That's why it's so important to understand what the scriptures say. And I want to just go through a few of these. I want you to get these into your spirit. Because we have accepted Christ as our Savior, the Bible says, I am a child of God. 
I am Jesus' friend. I am no longer a slave, but I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I am an heir of God. I am saved by grace through faith. I have peace with God. I'm reconciled to God. I'm loved by Jesus and I'm freed from my sins by his blood. I have been forgiven of all my sin. I have been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I am a partaker of Christ. I share in his life. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am a saint. Turn to the person next to you and say, saint, whatever their name is. Saint means a separated one, holy unto God, not in the religious way we think with a halo over the head. When Paul wrote to the church, he said to the saints that are in Corinth, to the saints that are in Galatia, he was speaking to church people just like you. You heard of the two uh, uh, real criminals in the community. They were, they were wicked men. They were vile men. And, and they went to a pastor. One of them died. And, 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 the, and the brother went to the pastor and said, I'll give you $25,000 if you will do the funeral and if you will say that my brother was a saint. So the pastor had a little struggle. <laughs> how do I keep the 25000 and how do I do the funeral and say he was a saint? So he took the 25000 and he agreed to be, to say he was a saint. So as the funeral was going on, the preacher, the pastor was preaching away and he said, you know that this man that is in the coffin was a, was a real evil man. He was a bitter man. He was a sinful man. He was a wicked man. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Look what the word of God says. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall see him, for we shall be see him as he is and will be like him everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure do you realize that you have royal blood flowing through you that is no exaggeration that is the truth you have royal blood flowing through you because you are a child of God my wife back a few years ago uh, she did that uh, ancestry uh, test and um, to, for the reveal, uh, we had, we had a, she made a cake and she got all those little flags of different countries and put the percentage on them and then the family was together and after our meal for dessert, we had coffee and she brought out the cake. And you want to know what my wife was predominantly? Anybody want to know? I'll just take one in that she was British, 40-something percent. So she's got royal blood. <laughs> but you know, the truth of it is, you and I have royal blood in us. 
But the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Think about that. Many times in our culture, the, the church is marginalized. Christians are ridiculed and, and made, you know, the butt of jokes and, and, and just, just, just cast aside as, as nothing. But you know what? The Bible says the world didn't know him. It, did, it doesn't know who we are. You know, and back in the day, maybe before you were saved, if you were in a club or you're in the street, somebody, you know, gave you a little shoulder butt or something and got in your face and, and you're like, do you know who I am? Do you know who my brother is? Do you know who, where I come from? You know, we would say in our pride, stick our chest out. But reality, we have to do that when we face spiritual forces. And the enemy of our soul comes against us. Do you know who I am? I bear the image of Almighty God. I am a child of God. Jesus lives on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If we would only get that in our spirit and, and renew our minds when we're facing battles and dealing with struggles, that, that when, when we face spiritual forces, we don't do it in our own strength but we do it in the power of God. Amen. We remember by the grace of God who we are. But to as many as received him, John chapter 1 verse 12 says, to as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power, the right, the authority to be called children of God. Aren't you blessed this morning to be called a child of God? How is that? That is by faith this morning. By faith, the Bible says we will see him. He'll be revealed. When he's revealed, we'll see him and we'll be like him. Do you know this morning you've already had a revelation of Jesus? Paul says, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. He revealed his son. You've had a revelation this morning. To be sitting here, to be, to be in fellowship with God, to know God, it was because you had a revelation. God revealed his son. But this coming a day when he's going to reveal him in all his glory. And you and I in that moment are going to be changed by the power of God. And this mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptibility. And we will be like him. Think about that this morning. Think about a world and a culture that places the highest priority on looks, on strength, on money, on material things. You and I as believers one day are going to be total perfection. Turn to the person next to me. Say, you, wait till you see what I look like in heaven. You think I look good now? That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise and we will put on incorruption. Think about it. Some of you guys have been working on a six-pack and it just ain't happening. You end up with a keg. You know, some of us, we, we work so hard. The reality is we're getting older. Think about without Jesus, how depressing is that? 
Well, you say, well, look at some of the people in Hollywood. Yeah, look at some of the, 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 the people that were the best looking and the most beautiful women. Look at their pictures. Google them what they look like 50 years and look what they look like today. Without Jesus, it's all fading. It's all going away. But with Christ, we shall be like him. What a glorious truth. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, when Jesus is revealed in all his glory, when he comes back, we experience it by faith today. By faith, you and I, because of what Jesus has done, the world doesn't know us like they didn't know him. You and I this morning are children of God, changed by the grace of God. Let me tell you, there's going to be one day when our bodies are going to be totally transformed. A body that is going to be glorified, a body that's going to be like unto the body of Jesus. And you know what? No more sickness could touch it. No more sin could touch it. No more decay. Isn't that good news? Oh, some of you young people, you think you're invincible. I thought I was invincible. But now that I'm in my 40s, I'm realizing... Things, what is the hope that we have this morning? Look at, and I want to close with this verse. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 3. This is important. And everyone who has this hope, do you have this hope this morning? What is the hope? The hope of Jesus coming back, right? Everyone that has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Purifies himself or keeps himself pure. It doesn't mean that we, we save ourselves. It doesn't mean um, that we somehow uh, become holy in our own efforts. No, it means we're already declared holy. We walk that out and we live that out by faith and by the hope that we have in Jesus. In other words, because we know Jesus is coming back, we want to live our lives in a, in a hopeful anticipation of that. And so it causes us to, to let go of some things in our life. To lay aside, the Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Sin comes in all shapes and sizes. In the church, we've become really good at outward sins. You know, the Bible says some, some men's sins, they, they, they're very evident. Everybody gets to see them. But the Bible also says some men's sins follow after them. In other words, nobody sees them, but God sees them, but they still have the same effect on their life of destruction. So you and I this morning, we need to, to have this hope that Jesus is coming back. This hope causes us to live with expectancy, live with, with a hope that realizes, wait a minute, Jesus could come back at any time. I need to live my life ready for his coming. The hope is the blessed hope of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. What is hope? Hope is that expectation in the future that God's going to right every wrong. God is going to heal every sickness. God is going to deliver from all trauma, from all pain, from all suffering. That hope is based in the coming of Jesus. Would you stand together with me? Would the singers and the musicians come back as we just come to a, bring this time to a close this morning?
Behold, look, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we can be called children of God. Are we living up to that glorious calling? Are we living up to that standard today? The story is told of a man back many years ago. He saved up as much money as he could. Scraped up all his savings to go on a cruise. Paid for the ticket and he brought in his suitcase boxes of crackers and just, just little, little scraps to eat. And as he was for, for several days he just every time the meals were served he went back to his room and he just lived on crumbs until the last day he ran into some of the workers and the staff and they asked him we haven't seen you at any of the meals and he said well I didn't have any money I only had enough money to purchase the ticket he didn't realize that in purchasing the ticket he had access to all the meals but he lived on crumbs and many times spiritually as God's people, we don't live up to the standard or the criteria or, or the provisions that God has made for us. As children of God this morning, we are the righteousness of God. We are sanctified. We are holy. We are blessed. The Bible says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in another passage, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This morning, that is our status. That is our position. Behold, what manner of love. Are we living in that place? This morning, as we bow our heads, I'd like to pray with you. Would you just bow your heads? If there's someone here this morning, they've never, you've never put your faith in Christ. It is simple. God loved us so much, sent his son because we needed a savior, because we're all sinful. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed. We've all sinned. But God sent his son to pay the price for our sins, that we might be forgiven and that we might spend eternity with him. This morning, is there someone here, maybe you've never, you've never accepted Christ into your life. You've never accepted the gift of God. The same John that we read about, he wrote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. People say, why all the suffering? Why all the pain? Why is this world so crazy? Well, God has done everything he could do. It's up to those, it's up to us to believe him. Whoever believes will have eternal life. This morning, there's someone here and you've never put your faith fully in Jesus. I want to give you this opportunity. Is there someone here who would acknowledge that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior? Just quickly raise your hand. Someone would say, I need Jesus. I've never been born again. I've never fully given my life to Christ. I want to give you this opportunity. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You would just say, I need Jesus this morning. I need that love. I need that unconditional love this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. 
Amen. I'd like to ask this morning for those of you that don't have that hope or you need that hope renewed or, or maybe the understanding, the love of God. You need a revelation of that this morning. As this worship team begins to, to lead in worship, if you would just slip out of your seat, just come around these altars. We're going to just close in just three minutes, five minutes and a word of prayer. Would you just come forward this morning? We want to close this time with prayer. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. Thank you, Jesus. You surround me with Oh, God, for the revelation of your love, God, for your grace. Of deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. From my enemies. Till all my 